Hello and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job, currently being recorded via live stream. Before we jump into the Word of God, I have a PSA, a public service announcement regarding the Very Lutheran Project and the wider goings-on of the Lutheran Church as a whole. If you are listening to me speak on Holy Scripture, to any of the sermons that I'm putting out, the Bible studies, the Sex and Marriage series, uh, any of the VLL broadcasts, or our current series, Evaluating Modernist Theology, going through Paul Tillich's uh, Systematic Theology, there's a good chance that you are very frustrated with the state of confessional Lutheranism in the United States and the West as a whole, to the point where the old adage that the LCMS is just the ELCA but driving the speed limit, that's no longer true. Their proposals for this year's um, convention sound psychotic. The pronouncements of their leadership are going off the deep end and leaving a lot of people wanting to fight. A lot of individuals have taken it upon themselves to get Twitter accounts, to start up blogs, to start a movement criticizing and fighting against synodical leadership, whether that is in the Missouri Synod or the Wisconsin Synod or whoever. I'm here to tell you right now, that is not fighting a war. You are not building anything if all you do is criticize. And I'm saying this out of love, tough love a little bit. Critiquing people on Twitter, making fun of them, arguing with them, is one thing. And sometimes polemics like that are needed given the horrid state of Lutheranism today and for the past, oh, 60 or 70 years, ever since the Seminex debacle. But if you are not building something, if you are not joining an alternative, if you are not standing at the ready with your own materials, ready to build your own house church, ready to start up a new synod, if there happens to be a schism joining it, if you are not supporting the people who are able to functionally do something and build something as an alternative, all that is going to happen is the leadership that you despise, the leadership that hates you, that hates the laity, that shows nothing but contempt for you as they A-log various figures and rejoice at the unjust excommunications of others, if you're not building something, all they have to do is wait you out. They have the money, they have the structure, they have the establishment, and that is all they have to do is wait until you are tired, bored, lazy, or drowning in a purity spiral of infighting for you to be irrelevant to them and they move along doing whatever it is they wanted to do in the first place. And you can cry from the rooftops that this is a horrid apostasy, but at the end of that day, you have nowhere to go. I implore everybody that is watching this, if you have a good church, if you have a good pastor that is wonderful, that is great, please go to verylutheran.biz and download all of the materials for Sunday services, for the litany, 
for anything church related, for sermons, whatever you want, please have this at your home. You should be able to function as a Lutheran Christian regardless of what some synod or association is saying or doing. Whatever their talking heads are screaming from their bully pulpits. Help me build it. And if you want to see this continue to grow, I appreciate all support. First and foremost, prayers. Prayers to our God that we can successfully create and build and have a magnified ministry that goes out empowering the laity instead of just letting them scream until their vocal cords are ripped to shreds. May I remind you that did not work for the conservatives in the ELCA, and it's still not working for them. But there is also a support tab for anybody that uh, wishes to generously donate monetarily. We have a Gumroad, and for all the people that are regularly donating to that, I am incredibly grateful for that support. Uh, this is how we provide for me and my family. This is how we put food in my children's mouths. It's very much appreciated. But also, if anybody wants to help in building the Very Lutheran Project, if they have open source hymns they want to recommend, collects, we want to start up a PDF file of free-to-use collects for the liturgy for people to pray in their homes or with a, a park church type setting, we are more than happy to start using that. If anybody has a theological article or something they want to write, please email me at very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com. We can work on this together. Now that said, if you have your Bible handy, I would like everybody to open up to the book of Psalms. We are going to be reading from Job chapter 4, but before we do, Knowing that we interpret Holy Scripture with Holy Scripture, we should first look at something the book of Psalms says. From Psalms 1. Psalm 1. Let us read it together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And as is our habit with all psalms, let us say, The Gloria, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Now we go from the first psalm, to just a few pages back. We are going to go to Job chapter 42. And in Job chapter 42, in verse 7, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, 
The Lord says to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Having read Psalm 1, and having read these few verses from Job chapter 42, the last chapter of Job, now we can go to the chapter in question, Job chapter 4. We have gone and seen how Job lost everything. We saw his friends come and mourn with him for seven days, saying absolutely nothing. And then, last week, we saw Job mourn his birth itself, cursing the day of his birth, because with a heart full of agape love, this righteous man refused to curse anybody or anything, especially God. He would not curse God. So he cursed the only thing that he could curse in his misery the day of his birth. But now it is time for Eliphaz the Temanite, who we just read our Lord God condemning his words. Let us read what he has to say. Chapter 4, beginning in the first verse. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, if one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet who can keep from speaking? Behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence? and the integrity of your ways, your hope? Remember who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. The roar of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions are broken, the strong lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Now a word was brought to me stealthily. My ear received the whisper of it. Amid thoughts from visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, dread came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones shake, a spirit glided past my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Even in his servants he puts no trust. and his angels he charges with error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed like the moth. Between morning and evening they are beaten to pieces. They perish forever without anyone regarding it. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? Do they not die, and that without wisdom? 
This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Eliphaz speaks like a theologian. Now, of course, for his day, he would have been known as a wise man, an educated man, a sage of sorts. He speaks with a little bit higher of a level of poetry than Job does. Job curses the day he was born. Job cries out in contrition, and while it is still poetry, that's how a lot of people spoke back then. If they were going to make an official pronouncement, it's poetry. But they've had seven days to cook all of this up in their heads as they think about this whole situation, as they chew on what Job has just gone through. Job calls his attention to his suffering in chapter 3. Eliphaz, the Temanite, calls attention to theology. And what does he say? At first he's polite. He says, if one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Can I speak? Can I have an opportunity to say something, dear Job? He's being polite. He understands his friend is going through a hard time. We cannot fault Eliphaz for being uh, polite and aware of his company, especially what Job has gone through. But then he says, You have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. He calls attention to Job's reputation as a righteous man, and not just a righteous man, but one who exhorts and instructs others in righteousness. Now, this is consistent with the witness of our Lord in Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Thus far, though God says to Eliphaz and his two friends that they have spoken wrongly about the Lord, he's in agreement with what God said about Job in the first chapter. He is in agreement with what St. James says about Job in James chapter 5. Where is he going wrong? We continue to read again here. Now it has come to you and you are impatient. It touches you and you are dismayed. Well, that's true. Job is suffering. He is dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Well, goodness gracious, that's what all of us Lutherans learn in confirmation class. Trust in the Lord. Don't you understand that to fear God, that is a mighty tower. The entirety of the book of Proverbs teaches this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdoms. So the poets of Holy Scripture have said in Psalms and Proverbs. What could Eliphaz the Temanite possibly be saying that's wrong? To make matters even more, well, confusing, for a moment, what on earth is he saying when he says, you have made firm the feeble knees? Does that ring a bell to anyone? What does scripture say about feeble knees? Isaiah chapter 35. This is a verse that Isaiah nearly quotes 
directly. Isaiah 35 verse 3 says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. This is such a word-for-word parallel when Eliphaz says, You have made firm the feeble knees, that clearly Isaiah, having access to the book of Job, And under the direction of the Holy Spirit says what Eliphaz says here is valuable. This is something that is directly applicable to the children of Israel in Judah in Isaiah's day. We have the Bible, a a book of the Bible, the prince of the prophets, Isaiah, quoting Eliphaz the Temanite. Yet, at the same time, This is the same man whom God points his divine finger at Eliphaz and says, You have spoken wrong of me. And thus far, we, reading this according to the uh, census literalis, the plain meaning of the text, we find nothing wrong with it. Well, let's keep reading here. Maybe we can find out what exactly Eliphaz said that was wrong. Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. The roar of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions are broken. The strong lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Here Eliphaz resorts to more of his very poetic high language to say, well, the innocent are blessed. And the wicked, they are cursed. They are destroyed, just like a proud lion that eventually, finally gets what's coming to him. Job, do you, do you not remember this? This is divine instruction. And here, we might be tempted to say, ah, uh, Eliphaz, now we know where you're going wrong. After all, who that was innocent ever perished. Our Lord Christ, being perfectly innocent for us, he perished on our behalf. And indeed, he rose again on the third day. Doesn't Eliphaz know something about this from the Proto-Evangelium? Well, maybe. Maybe we also read, Where were the upright cut off? As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Uh... Silly Eliphaz, that's everybody. And we see the wicked appearing to prosper in this life. We have no guarantee of a justice for them. And then we remember that we read from Psalm 1, which we will be reading just about every single time one of Job's friends speaks. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. If you are somebody with a delight in the law of the Lord, and on God's law you meditate day and night, you are blessed. You are like a tree planted by streams of water. You grow and you are firm in your foundation. But the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. If I didn't know better, I would have asked myself whether or not Eliphaz the Temanite wrote Psalm 1. Yet here he is, a man who as he speaks, God is getting ready to say, 
you have not spoken right about me. And we don't know why. But he has a vision. He has a vision he wishes to speak of. It's more of an audio phenomenon with some interaction with the spirit. A word was brought to him stealthily. He had a spiritual experience that he wishes to share with Job. It glides past his face. The hairs on the back of his neck come up. And the spirit stands still, almost like a sleep paralysis phenomenon. And it says, Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Even in his servants he puts no trust, and his angels he charges with error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed like the moth. Between morning and evening they are beaten to pieces, they perish forever without anyone regarding it. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? Do they not die in that without wisdom? Well, that sounds very Lutheran of him. We might say that the prophet Isaiah quoting from Eliphaz the Temanite, well, that's Old Testament. Where, where does Eliphaz speak rightly of God or wrongly of God that we can find maybe in the New Testament? Well, let's speak to what this spirit says and let us go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, in fact, where we see St. Paul making a statement not unlike that of Eliphaz the Temanite. He says, None is righteous, no, not one. Okay, yes, Romans chapter 3, starting in the 10th verse. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And if someone should say to me that, yes, well, St. Paul is quoting the Old Testament there, but it's maybe it's different in the New Testament era. We go over to verse 23. Uh, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. St. Paul agrees with Eliphaz the Temanite. And we hear this, and we maybe are tempted to say with the rest of the Lutheran church that, well, actually Eliphaz and the others of Job's friends are correct, that because Job is a sinner, he deserves nothing but horrible things all his life, and he deserves damnation. Who is Job to present himself as being righteous and not deserving this, when clearly the witness of Scripture says we are all poor, miserable sinners who need a Savior? Job deserved everything that he went through because he was a sinner, you see, and we are all sinners, you see, and therefore I'm, I'm not even certain why God would say that Eliphaz is wrong. This whole chapter, what Eliphaz says, is technically correct. Yes, mortal men cannot be right before God, not by our own power. Can a man be pure before his maker? We are all sinners. But this is no ordinary sinner that we are speaking of in this time. We are speaking of Job, and may I read again and again until our ears bleed. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. 
the prophet Job had saving faith in our Lord. He had righteous Christian faith in our God, the kind that says he was justified before God Almighty. So when God says this man was upright, he turned away from evil, he did what was right, this man, God says he is righteous. There is no denying it. There is no saying that he deserves only bad. And as if that was not enough, Job, being the good pietist that he was, did everything in his power to cooperate in the process of sanctification. He did absolutely everything he could, everything in his extreme levels of devotion that not even Martin Luther, during his time as an Augustinian friar, could match. And we're talking about Martin Luther, the man who would spend hours in the confessional, the man who would whip himself until his back was drenched in blood. He has nothing on Job, who took personal pains to not only consecrate himself, turning away from evil, but also consecrated his children. That Job. When Eliphaz speaks from a theologian's voice in chapter 4, we understand that strictly speaking, technically, he is speaking truly. None of his words are false. Even Isaiah, the prince of the prophets, looks at these words and says, that's perfect. We're going to put that in chapter 35. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course. Yes, Eliphaz speaks properly, but with what voice does Eliphaz speak? He speaks with the voice of the law. And I believe this may lead us a little bit closer to understanding why God says this man was incorrect. It is not that his words were technically false. It is that he was speaking with the voice of the law to the man who needed the gospel. He says, Who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? In verse 8, As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Verses 7 and 8 are a beautiful thesis statement on what God's divine law tells each and every one of us in our hearts and in the witness of Holy Scripture. And as we read in Psalm chapter 1, the law's central thesis, its first statement to all of us is, do good to get good. And if you do bad, heaven help you, you are going to receive lots and lots of bad. This goes all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, which outlines a few really good blessings for obedience to God's law. And verse after verse after verse after verse after verse of curses and destruction pronounced to those who dared to disobey God's law and break his covenant. Eliphaz speaks from this law. But we understand that the Bible is rightly divided into law and gospel and the third use of the law. To speak from the law is to tell Job, why aren't you 
trusting in your righteousness. After all, you should have nothing to worry about. Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways, your ways, your hope? You should be trusting in these good works of yours as an audience before God. It'll be okay. But by the way, with a second use of the law, this spirit revealed to me that everybody is a sinner that is damned and deserves to perish. Where is the gospel in what Eliphaz is saying? Where is his awareness of this man who is hurting, who already has done everything in his power his entire life, not only to uphold God's commandments, but also to help others do the same? Eliphaz spoke wrongly, not because he is incorrect here, he spoke wrongly because he did not speak with the right voice. And he will continue to do so as we cover chapter 5 next week. And spoiler for everybody, all three of Job's friends speak this same way from different angles. And the worst example of speaking this way comes from Elihu, the young man, who will come in much later in the story. If anybody tries to justify Elihu's behavior, or, or if they're going to disagree with me on that, send me an email as soon as you can, and we can start that conversation early if you don't want to wait till we finally get to Elihu's words. But until then, we will continue with chapter 5 next week. Amen and amen.